I'm Marcus Smith, and you're watching Anything Is Possible. I'm Patrick Sang, global citizen, investor. Join me as I talk with global influencers for their insight, wisdom, and how they overcame their own personal challenges. Sharing positivity, overcoming challenges, creating one world together. I'm Patrick Sang, anything is possible. Welcome to another episode of Anything Is Possible. We're now in Inner Fight Gym in Dubai. I have a guest, uh, Marcus Smith. Marcus, welcome. Thank you very much, looking forward to it. So Marcus, tell us about um, Marcus Smith. So as a simple, I guess your elevator pitch, I was born in the UK in like, a long time ago, 1978, so I'm 42 years old. And at four years old, I moved here to Dubai. So this has kind of been my home ever since. When I was nine, I went back to the UK to boarding school where I think, and I'm sure we'll dig into it in a bit, I think I learned some of really the fundamentals of life. It was an incredible time. I was nine years old. It was freezing cold, wearing shorts in the north of England, snowing, and I started my boarding school in January. So that was kind of an, a really interesting time for me. I went through all through boarding school and then did a degree in sports management with a major in sports marketing up in Leeds. And when I finished, I think we do what, even probably more so these days, people are like, okay, I've got this degree, what do I do now? And you head for the big smoke, so I went down to London and no one wants to talk to you because you don't have any experience. And I've, I think I've always had like a bit of an entrepreneurial mindset and I'm like, I'll do anything. And I don't really care about the money. I just want to work and, and, and give my services. And no one would, <laughs> ego like shattered, mate. No one would give me any work. My parents were still living here and I was like, okay, I'm gonna go home. And that's when I started this interesting journey in, in the sports industry. I was still playing rugby and I started working for Oakley. And I loved that brand since I was young and, and, and I was like, wow, I've got this unique opportunity. And I worked for a few different brands. I, I did five years at Adidas and then I finished up in 2009, 2010 with Nike. And I just had for 10 years this amazing journey of what I call my second university, just learning from these brands. And 2008, I founded my first business, which is in a fight, which is where we're sat today. And just with a simple vision, I sort of walked into it with a very similar mindset to what I said when I went down to London. People were asking me to help them. I was like, I like helping people. And I just started coaching people. Some I charged, most I didn't. And I think this is something that's lost today. People are like, you graduate from uni, pay me my money. It's like, you need time, you know? And I started coaching people and, and we developed a, our vision was simple to help people to get better at life. And we develop mindset within what we're doing. So we're training people physically, but I was talking to people about how they feel when they wake up in the morning and, and, and what challenges they're facing mentally. And I saw that resonating with a lot of people. And I was like, you know what? It's not really about the squats or the burpees. This is, it's important but there's a whole other side. And, and really, that sort of kicked off in about 2005, my fascination for human behavior and human performance. And yeah, fast forward, it's 2021. It's wild because in 2020, if we'd have been doing this now in 2020, we'd have been in my old facility. 
and we committed to this new facility, which is huge, big expense, and then the world just goes boom. And I'm like, wow, I learned so much across the last sort of 15 years of coaching. Now I've got to deploy everything I've learned. And I'm proud that we're sat here today and I'm thankful that you've chosen to ask me some questions, Patrick. Yeah. So no, I mean, um, thank you for um, taking the interview. It's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to speak to you. And I've been um, running around earlier, sitting in my car and I'm in my you know, shirt and jeans, everyone's like doing their burpees and stuff, right? <laughs> uh, um, anyway, on the t-shirt, Inner Fight says, show no weakness, yeah. right? And I think before we started the interview, I was also saying that sometimes your weakness is your strength. Correct. And sometimes your strength is your weakness, right? How, what, do you, what do you think about that? I agree with you, mate. And it's probably, it's a really bold statement. And I get asked this kind of question a lot, like, well, it's good to be vulnerable. Yes, it is. I, 12 months ago, it was 12 months, 15 months ago, I stood on the start line of an athletics track. 400 meters, and I was gonna run around it for 24 hours without stopping. I told everyone, the media were there, there was a few hundred people there. That's vulnerable. That's putting yourself out there. So, show no weakness, doesn't mean not being in touch with your emotions. It just means not being weak. It doesn't mean that you're the tough guy. Weaknesses are strengths, strengths are weaknesses, I agree. But it's having the self-awareness to say, am I being a little bit soft? Am I just saying no to the workout today or no to that Excel sheet today just because I'm, I can't be bothered, just because I'm a little bit weak? And I think people with those sort of examples, hopefully it resonates because we've been in that situation. I just can't be bothered. That's weakness. You can do amazing things. We were chatting before the show of, of people that you've had on the show. Come on, sail from this country to this country, walk a thousand, go up, down, ooh, yeah. Come on, we're the same. I'd like to say that we've all got two arms and two legs, but some people, that have got less than what you and I have got are doing so much more. There's a certain amount of identification with our own weaknesses, mate. And then, yeah, turn them into strengths. And it's fine. I think one of the biggest things and the biggest misconceptions about this is you should, if you're struggling to get to the gym, let's talk about it. Let's understand why. I'd rather you come and say to me, Marcus, last week I canceled the gym three times. Pure weakness, but I've seen a pattern, can you help me fix it? Then I make your weakness your strength. And we say, okay, because what happens, we're a product of our subconscious. What's happening is we're behaving in the way that we behave because of the way that we're programmed. If we don't stop and understand those behaviors, what are you thinking? And that would be the question. What are you thinking? What are you feeling when you cancel? It's great now because we don't even have to call. We just press cancel on an app. This is a technology world, it's so easy. It's probably, it's probably more satisfying than actually going to the workout. Exactly, <laughs> it is. And it's like, so Patrick, what are you feeling? But then you have to open up. Sure. And I, use this, I was doing a talk yesterday on Clubhouse and, and it's the first time I've used this example, but I wanna use it again today because I think it's great. It's an onion. And we've heard about peeling back the layers of the onion. Now, the, the center part makes us cry. 
When we're chopping this onion, the center part makes us cry. The more layers I peel back on you and really getting to understand why you keep canceling on that app, I might make you cry. And we're scared of that. It's not because I'm horrible. It's just because I need all of this to come out. And because with the thought that I shared just before that we're a product of our subconscious, yes, behaviors that you had when you were younger are programmed in your mind. Not, and I don't want to go too deep into bad childhoods and all of this, but there's certain things that happen, both positive and negative, when you were growing up, especially in your scenario, mate. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm English. I came to Dubai, I went seven hours back to England, and that was all good. Your family didn't speak the language, and they went to a country that was all the way over there. Like, come on, there's certain things, and that programs our subconscious. When we become conscious of our subconscious, then we can start to change our behavior. So, to go back to it, it's not about being a tough guy. It's actually about being so strong that we identify behaviors and we're ready to open that onion up. We're ready to cry a little bit if we need to. It's my wife always says to me, you don't cry enough. I'm like, okay, what can I do, you know? And really understanding at the core who we are and what, what makes us tick, you know? Because once we figure out what makes us tick, then we can drive this thing full gas. And that's when it becomes exciting. But you can't go at 100 miles an hour if you, if you don't know how to drive it. Sure. I mean, really, really good uh, insight. So let's, let's dissect uh, Marcus a little bit. So obviously, you're a very positive, very motivated uh, kind of guy, very AIP spirit. So tell us about your, your childhood, like when you moved from um, Dubai back to England, England back to Dubai, did you get accepted by the other boys and girls, yeah. or, or were you seen as an outsider? I was a, very much an outsider because I was one of a few foreign kids. I'm like, I'm from, like my hometown is 20 minutes down the road. How am I a foreign kid? But because I was an international student, I was probably, I was probably, as we like to do, we like to ring fence people. You're foreign, you're not, you're this, you know, we discriminate, we're, we're all of those bad things. Kind of, not in, a, in an evil way, that's how we do things as, as, as humans. So yeah, for, for a time there I, I was, and, and I didn't enjoy it, Patrick, at the start. I missed home, and I didn't enjoy to be told everything. Wake up, wake up now. Go and wash your face, eat, finish everything, drink. Okay, what? Like, I'm a robot. And then, in reflection, and very quickly, I was like, this is amazing. This is the discipline that I need. This is why my parents sent me here. And it taught me about time. And time is, is, is one of the most precious things. And everyone says to me, like, what? The best thing you can give to someone is your time. Whether it's time to send you a message, whether it's time to email, whatever. And I learned from that point, if they say 7 a.m., 7 a.m., I'm gonna be there on time. And this discipline, and because I, I, I think, it just, that just resonated with me a little bit. Then I became the foreign kid, but 
I, I, create, I had this association with time because I think it came from my dad because he's a, he's a stickler for time as well. Then I became the kid that was always on time. So yeah, I think through a lot of my education, I was kind of like, again, I was, I was a bit different to, to a few other people. And then when I went to my high school, which was a boarding school as well, I, I, was, I was good at running. And I, I remember because I was good at running, I'd get like special privileges. So then I was a little bit on the outside. And I think we all have this, unless we're incredibly introverted, we all have this desire to, you know, we want peer praise. We want to feel good. And, you know, so I was allowed to wake up at 5 a.m. and go and run in the forest on my own when I was 13 years old. And I loved it, right? You know, and I'd, I'd come to breakfast and everyone would be at breakfast and I'd be like, wow, you know, all the endorphins and dopamine just everywhere. And so then I was a little bit different again. So I think, and I think it's again, a little bit of a program in the subconscious is that when I was young, mum used to tell me the whole time that I was different. Not always in a good way. <laughs> like, so there was, I, and I think we do want acceptance. And, and I, I remember scenarios, mate. Now I, I wouldn't have a problem. There's 50 people in this room and you say, Marcus, go in and give them this instruction or go and speak for 10 minutes just to, because our main speaker's late and just fill in. Okay, it's cool. I'm ready to do it. But I used to feel, I was in a class of nine people and I used to feel like everyone's looking at me. And why am I here? And, and I guess it's, the phrase these days would be imposter syndrome, you know? And I'd be like, do I look different? Am I, you know? And I used to have really blonde hair, mate, which, you know, for, for a Chinese guy in Ireland is like, what are you talking about? You had blonde hair, at least you look similar to them. But people would look at me a bit different. And yeah, so there, there was a little bit of that. And then I guess then when, I think people thought because I was in boarding school and I was flying from Dubai, we were extra privileged. And I feel privileged, mate. My parents came here in 83 where what you see today is not what it was like, you know? And I think that would have been very difficult. And I, I think about it a lot. My parents were here for 20 years. They had a good life here, that's for sure. But I know a lot of the reason why they were here was for me and my sister. You know, you're obviously a very active person. Yeah. So did you just, were you naturally just like very active, like from a young age, you played football, rugby and yes. all that? Or, yeah. or did it, you sort of grow into it? No, I was active from a young age, mate. And there, there's a couple of things here. The main thing is the environment I was brought up in. We're a product of our environment. And my parents were active the whole time. Dad would be out riding his bike, running. They would organize runs from our house here in Dubai two nights a week. And I'd be like, wow, this is cool. And you know, you'd see them come in and they'd just be sitting in the garden in a pool of sweat. And I'd be like, that's really cool. You know, and, and, and it resonated with me. And, and that's why there's, there's a lot of people and you know, a lot of people sitting around these days and saying, yeah, genetically I can't go running and stuff. I was actually reading something a couple of days ago that they did a study on a mice and it took 17 generations to actually breed sedentary life into mice. So guys, we're only in the second or third now. It's mainly about your environment, you know? And I was just in this great environment. And again, I think it's different, you know, we were sent out in the park to kick a football around and that was fun and there was no, it comes back to what I was saying about the choice to keep going or the choice to stop. The choice back then was not, what game do I play on my iPad? You know, oh, my YouTube's not working. There was none of that choice. That's why I genuinely think it's a difficult time for, for youngsters these days. 
but we would just always be outside running around playing football playing cricket and and that was life for me. So it's not a surprise, not all of the kids loved it, mate, but it's not a surprise that sport became my life. And I remember when I was finishing school, my dad's like, you have to go to university. It's my last, last request from you. And so I just started Googling sports universities or not Google because there wasn't really Google then, but I was like, I went and saw the careers officer and I said, what's the best sports university? He said, Loughborough. I said, well, I'm not gonna work that hard. I don't wanna go to that one. I said, what's the second best one? And he said, there's one called Carnegie College in Leeds. I was like, that's close to my house. I'll go there. And I sent a letter to my dad. I said, I've applied to study leisure studies at Carnegie Sports College. And he was like, that's fine. So sports always been a huge part of my life and I love it. I think it's amazing. I think what it does is, is, is amazing. And the fact that I worked for those 10 years in the sports goods industry and during that time, I always knew that I'd do something like this. I think in 2004 was when I, I sort of something, you know, did I have a moment? I don't know, you know, but something clicked and I was like, I'm gonna help people, I'm gonna build. This is after uni? This was after uni, yeah. So I graduated in about 2000 and then I went to play rugby down in Australia for, for two years and I moved back 2003, 2004. And yeah, I, I, it's funny, I'll, I'll tell you the story. It's funny how it happens, mate, because I was, I think I started working for Adidas and I was this junior sales guy that I mentioned before. And I got a call and they said, you need to go to this sales training day. I was like, me? Why, why am I going? And what had actually happened is all the sales directors were supposed to go and like two or three of them have dropped out and the companies paid the money for the seats. So down the pecking order and I got a seat. And even when I walked in, some of the guys looked at me, why are you here? I just got a call and I got told to be here. And there was this guy, this Canadian guy, and he was up on the stage and there was maybe 2,000 people. Very impersonal sales training. It was 2,000 people. And I wasn't watching him after about 30 seconds because I could hear him and his energy was insane. So I started watching the audience and I was like, this guy has 2,000 people on the edge of their seats. And I just said to myself, I can do that. And I thought, I'd actually really enjoy doing that. And there's a pattern here, isn't there? I quite like the limelight. You know? And I was like, I can do that. And I was looking around, you know, I'm the only face in, in the audience that is like looking backwards and everyone else is facing there. And I'm just seeing all these different emotions on these faces. And I'm like, how is he able to get all of their attention and to inspire them? in such a way and I was like that's amazing but I know I can do it and you know and, and a few weeks later you know one of my friends or who's become a very good friend he was a stranger at the time I started coaching him for free you know and I it's back to what I was saying earlier I was like I've got to do my school you know what I've learned in school and uni is great and what I'm learning through the corporate world is good but if I want to be that guy I've got to I've got to coach people I've got to practice like different different things. I've got to practice and, and, and experiment and see what works. And, you know, so that's kind of how it, yeah, that's kind of how it, how it came through, which was, it's quite crazy. It's just like, 
there are moments in life where things happen. And for me, I mean, you've done a really good job of pulling them out. This is not the way I expected this to go. Like, you've done a real good job of, of no one's actually ever asked me about, the, about bullying and stuff before. So, which as I say, I'm super open to talking about because I think it's- The, the reason I'm talking about it is because I, I, I can, um, I've also experienced a lot of different things similar to what you've, you've talked about. So I went to boarding school when I was a, a day boy. Yeah. So I always said um, I never would want to become a boarder or send my kids to be a boarder, right? Yeah. But as you get older a bit, you get to also see the good side of boarding, yeah. which is yeah. you know making friends, yeah. lifelong relationships. It disciplines you in terms of time. Yes. Um, just, just to, to share a few things. One is um, I also believe that time is the most, not you said one of the most precious assets, yeah. it's actually the most important asset because yeah. um, every day there are 400,000 people that don't wake up the next day. Yeah. So the fact that we're here and the guys behind the cameras here, yeah. that we're here, we have to be super grateful that we are here because tomorrow we might not be breathing again. So yeah. we have to make use of the time yeah. and uh, to do whatever you're doing, to follow your passions, whatever yeah. it may be. But in terms of the bullying, the reason I was getting into it is that I, I wanted to, you know, I could see similarities in, in, in us in terms of the, the mental strength. I think our personalities in terms of how we express ourselves are a little bit different. I'm a yeah. bit more reserved and conservative. But, <laughs> yeah. but um, I can see the mental strength of you. I'm just trying to figure out, did it come from the move from when you went from Dubai to the UK? Mm. Was it because of your time in the UK as a border? Mm. Was it because you're viewed as an outsider mm. there, even though you look, you know, physically the same yeah. color and hair yeah, or whatever yeah, as yeah. the other boys, but maybe yeah. because you're tanned, yeah. people get jealous. Yeah. And you know, we were talking, who was I talking to? I was talking to somebody recently and we're talking with like bullies and uh, you would get invited to the bully's birthday party mm. and um, you end up seeing the bully being completely ripped apart by the father, yeah. like, yeah. like physically or verbally. Yeah. And that's why the bully has to do something else to other kids to basically show their worth yes. and their value to life, yes. as in that's how they you know, beat or do whatever yeah. to people. So yeah. ex ex actually the, the, uh, the victim is actually not, I mean the bully is actually the victim. Yes, yes. But he's just like passing it on to somebody. He's else. passing it on, right. but he's also, he's, if you go back to what I was saying, his subconscious is programmed that that's normal. Yes. So if you start hitting the kid, the kid's gonna hit other people because he thinks that he or she thinks it's normal, right? Yeah. Um, and I think one point that we, we didn't mention too much, uh, which I wanted to, to talk about quickly, is that when I was in Ireland growing up, um, obviously I, I wasn't ethnically um, mm. Irish, right? So I, I got away with not being Protestant or Catholic. Yes. So that was a good thing. But the second thing was at school or in the streets, you get a lot of like ignorant racial you know, name calling, I get in the fights and, yeah. and so on. But um, nothing major, you know, like, like, like your case, but um, you were never really accepted at that time there. Yeah. Now it's obviously improved a lot, yes. right? And then at that time, my father was very pro, you know, very proud of being Chinese, the heritage in Hong Kong and mm -hmm. said, you have to finish uni, then you go back to Hong Kong and you start working and so on. Yeah. So from a young age, I've been programmed to, this is only a 20 year project do get my education, move to Hong Kong, yeah. and then start making money, blah, 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 right? Mm -hmm. So my dream from like a young age, from nine, 10, I had to go to Hong Kong. Right. But the thing is, once I got to Hong Kong, 
I started my job, but even though I looked ethnically Chinese, yeah. but because I was grown up in the Western environment, people would see me as not wow. Chinese, right? Yeah. So at that time, people would call you a banana. So yellow on the outside and white in the inside, right? <laughs> but it was a little bit like what you said earlier. It was, there was a bit of racism yeah. from your own people, yes. right? But it's like you say, it's something that's natural where people always make a prejudgment of people, how they wear, how they talk, what they do. And then you sort of put people in the boxes, right? And that's a natural behavior. Yes, though. it is, right? It is a natural behavior. Anyway, so the point is when I was there, my Chinese in terms of writing wasn't as strong as it is today, right. just through, you know, through hard work and so on. But um, the point is then I was sort of like not employable because they're like better people with better language skills because there's a lot of people who study in England and the US and they go back and then they, they know Chinese as well. So then I was in a much more difficult position. But like 20 years later as in now, when I'm in, so basically wherever I, I, I was, I was never really accepted. Wow. Like what you were saying, right? Yeah. But not in the way that, you know, you can't live or whatever, yeah. but just that. But it's always challenging. It's challenging, right? So yeah. there's a bit of a security identity issue. 100%. But now 20 years later, like when I'm in London in the UK, which I spend half my time, yeah. I would position myself more as Hong Kong and Chinese, yes. as the China expert, yeah. right? But when I'm in Hong Kong, I'm the British guy, yeah, right? Person. When I'm in China, yeah. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the British guy. So that's my job is to bridge East and West. Yeah. But now my weakness, the reason I kept saying the strength is the weakness is yeah. that the weakness 20 years ago is now the strength. So, so it's just trying to evolve and- And that's why I think to a certain extent, as, as you said there, and as you've kind of done, you just embrace it and you roll with the blows and you just don't, and I think a lot of the time we, we're, we're fighting too much. And we have this perfect picture of how the perfect life is gonna be. And you just have to sometimes, I call it trust the process, call it whatever you want, but insane, your example. 20 years ago, it's that, and 20 years later, it's, it's making you who you are and successful at it. And that's beautiful. So uh, you, you talk about uh, you wanna make people better yeah. at life. Yeah. Um, is that like a, a, a life motto or is it sort of you've, you've put it into the, into the business? We put it into the business because I think as, as everyone when they're starting out, they're like, okay, you know, there's coaching and, and there's helping people and it's like, you know, some, some organizations want to build better businessmen and some want to build better sports people and stuff. And what I saw when I was coaching people was, yes, the squats and the burpees and the sit-ups, but more fascinating was, I've been working with this guy for six months. He walked in here, he was in bad shape. We've done all that stuff. We've talked on different levels, he's broken down, we've pulled him back up. Hang on a minute, he's just got a job, a new job, that six months ago, I know he wouldn't have even applied for. And then, you know, and mate, I could sit with hundreds of different stories. Some people leave from their partner. Some people then start a family. Some people, because they're now fitter and healthier and feel better, more motivated, don't wake up feeling like crap every morning, they're ready to play with their children. And I was doing a talk to a small team about eight or nine years ago. And this is when it really, I knew that we weren't just someone that made better athletes. 
We were made, we we're people that made people better in a number of areas of life. Because I was doing a talk and I said to, I said to the guys, I said, how do you define fitness? And one guy stood up and he said, Marcus, I love everything you're talking about. And he, he was so nice. He goes, I'm super inspired. He goes, but do you know what? My only goal is that I can play with my children. <sighs> the whole room went silent. I don't have children, but I was like, <clears throat> he goes, right now, my back is sore. I sit in this office the whole day. My daughter is growing and every month I feel that it's harder to pick her up and hug her. And he went on for about two or three minutes and the whole room was literally just silent. Girls and guys, tears running down their face. And that's when I, when I think, and I think a lot about our vision of making people better at life. That's what it's all about, mate. That's really what it's all about. Some people have athletic goals. Some people wanna qualify for their age group for whatever it is, be it tennis, be it triathlon, it doesn't matter. We can help you do that. Some people, they don't know it right now, but they need to improve that relationship with their children, with their wife, and we can help on all of that. And that's where what I know, I used to say I believe, but I know makes us quite different. And we'll talk to people. I'll call you if you don't come three times. What's going on? Come in and let's have a coffee. Let's chat about it. And we're creating an environment that makes someone say, yeah, actually, mate, I'm, I'm, I'm arguing with my wife a lot. That's okay. You know, so that's fine. That's not fine if you've been doing it for 10 years, but you know, we're just going through a rough patch. That's cool. What's going on? How can I help you? You know, and it's not, I don't profess to be uh, weight loss specialist, fitness guy, marriage counseling, but how many times, like, why can't we have these, a safe space? Just because we're a gym, it doesn't mean that we're all, we're not human. And I just want to help people have better lives. And I know that for a lot of people, the start point, everyone, you want to improve your life? I need a gym membership. Some people I'll say, you're not ready yet. And I think that's what you need to be a little bit confident and comfortable in at the same time. Some people I say, no mate. I've got it with a client at the moment in the UK. Same thing. I said, mate, I don't need to coach you right now. You need something else now. And that's where, when we look holistically, and now when, when, when I'm starting working with someone, I, it's brutal. I, I send a questionnaire and it's like 30 questions. Some people will reply back within like half an hour and I'll just reply back, sorry, you haven't thought about it, you know, and, and, it, and it asks a lot of, it analyzes them in a lot of different ways. And normally I'll say, take your time to think about it. And if they take three or four days, then we'll sit down and then I can figure out too many people are trying to sell what they've got, like this off the shelf solution just to have a client. This guy's paying you his hard earned money and I charge a lot but I deliver a lot. I wanna make sure that when you hand over your money to me, that I'm gonna give you everything. Because you deserve that. You know, we're not, and this is, I always say it to all of my coaches, we, we have an incredible coach development program here. It comes back to it the whole time. When someone comes to you, they're giving you 
their most unique asset is their body. It's the thing that's most personal to them. It's the thing that they have to wake up every morning and see naked in front of the mirror and it either makes them happy or makes them sad. And now they're giving you the responsibility to make it look amazing so that when they go in the front of that mirror that morning, they go, yes, this is it. I'm ready to run through a wall. That's a big responsibility, mate. So Interfit, you started. Um, that's, I guess, your, your major entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. Um, how did you make the jump from, you know, working from someone yeah. to starting your own thing? <laughs> it was not as hard as I thought it would be. And it's not as hard as anyone who's watching this show thinks it's going to be. It's quite straightforward. I coached people from 2004. We'd set up the brand in 2008. I'd not made a dollar. I'd done it all because I loved it. I'd set up the brand. Literally, we started the website, called it In A Fight, because I had so many workouts. And I was like, these guys are all having a good time with my workouts. Let's give it to the world. And so I put it online. And then it got to a point in 2009, and it had been five years at Adidas. And as you went to my then boss, and I said, I need something. I'm not challenged anymore. And for, for your benefit and for my benefit, we need to sort something out. And he said, okay, I'll have a look at some things and I'll come back to you. And I went back to him a month later and I said to him, what have you done? And he said, oh, nothing. I thought you were gonna do something. And I said, okay, thank you. And I knew at that point that Adidas wasn't the place for me to be. And so I started making some phone calls as we do. We look in the same industry and I went to Nike. And I remember for the first two weeks that I was at Nike, and they paid me great money. And that's all I thought about. And it was empty. My soul was completely empty. I was like, this is wrong. And I couldn't figure out what, because when I started there, I, I don't care. I didn't buy a new car. I didn't change any of my life. I, I'm me. And, but all I was thinking about was this big paycheck that I was getting. And at two weeks, I said to myself, you came to the wrong place. What you, the reason why you are itchy at Adidas to do something different is because you want to help people. And I thought back to that guy in the room and I was like, I've done my schooling. I've coached these people for these years. Now's the time. And I said to myself, I said, within a year, I'll be out of here. Because I had something to do there. I'd gone in to do a job and I wanted to do, I wanted to complete what I went in to do. It would have been wrong for me to, to resign immediately, but I said, I can do that work within a year, and when that work's done, I'm gonna make a move. And 10 months later, I resigned. And I spent those 10 months doing the job and also doing more study. I studied, I did a diploma in sports psychology so that all the stuff that I'd seen, I could confirm if it was kind of true and learning. And I took a piece of paper, which I still have, and I wrote my salary. And you need peace of mind. Because a lot of people are like, how is it gonna work? And I was like, okay, I've got this much in the bank. That's my current salary. And these are the revenue streams that I see coming. And I did a really simple pen, uh, paper and pen written business plan. And I was like, that looks pretty good. It feels good in my gut. I don't, I've got this little bit of money here. And I'm gonna make it work. And then I put, different things on the piece of paper. What's gonna make it work? And I went and did those things. And for the first six months, 
I met someone every single day for a coffee because that was on the piece of paper. And I talked to people, but more importantly, I listened. And I asked questions. Similar to what you were saying there, you were asking me questions to try and, and there's a little bit of sort of empathy going on here. I did exactly the same thing. And I tried to understand what people needed and wanted. And we were training people, so I, I already had this small hustle set up. And that's, that's the thing, lots of people talk about a side hustle, get one set up. You've got time, you've got loads of time. If you work a nine to five job at the moment, you've got loads of time. Like you literally, because you are killing time on social media, Netflix and all this junk, which isn't helping you, you have loads of time. And I think that's, I guess that's one thing because it, in 2010, I never used to scroll Instagram because it wasn't there. Yeah. So I think there, are less, there were less distractions, so it was easier to get that focus. But that was the journey and yeah, it was. Like the last day I was at Nike, I drove home and I was like, this is it like literally shaking with nerves, excitement, and I get home and Holly's amazing in these things and this is why without her, I would be nothing. She just looks at me and she's like, how do you feel? And it goes back to what I was saying. How do you feel? How do you feel when you cancel a class? And she has this innate ability to ask me the right question at the right time. You know, and, and, and some people, they'd be you know, opening the champagne, this is it, this is a new thing. And she could just see that I was, I was nervous in a good and, and, and not so good way. And she just said, how do you feel? And I'd be like, I feel pretty good. You know, and we never, we never look back. And it's, it's, it's not for everyone. That's the bottom line, I think, here. And, and I think you'd agree with that, Patrick. Like, you know, entrepreneurship is not for everyone. You mentioned about your, your accident. Yeah. Um, was that the most significant setback in your life? Yes, absolutely. But it was the most, again, like I said with the marathons, I think there's still things coming out of that. And thanks for asking the question because it's therapy for me to answer it. You know, there's still things coming out of that that just blow my mind. You know, it's. It's the biggest setback, mate. I was, I was riding my bike, I was traveling at 60-something kilometers an hour, I was hit by a truck, and then I got hit into a wall. I hit that wall at 54 kilometers an hour with the left-hand side of my body and just dropped on the floor like a sack of potatoes. And I was an hour and a half to two hours from a hospital. And that's problematic, you know? And as I was laid there, I, as you always do, like, okay, can you, can you move your fingers? And I sort of, I could just... Were you, were you conscious the whole time? I was conscious the whole time, which makes it, it's almost like, I think in the moment, because of the pain was so intense, it would have been better if I was unconscious. But because I was conscious, I remember everything. And I think that's where the real lessons are. And, you know, I, I was like, okay, I can move my fingers, although I knew that I'd done something really bad and I could wriggle my toes and that was great but then I just realized that I couldn't breathe and the impact of the crash had essentially my left lung had just exploded and there was blood coming out of my mouth and I joke about it but it's kind of true and it's what went through my mind is that you know I'd seen this before in like movies you know and someone gets shot and you see there's blood coming out of their mouth and the next minute this just like lights out yeah. and I was like and and I knew I was in trouble yeah. and but then one of the most probably call it unique experiences of my life happened 
because as I laid there on the floor, blood coming out of my mouth, extreme pain, unable to breathe, I saw the truck driver, he started walking towards me. And he was a Pakistani gentleman in traditional garb. And I saw straight through him. And I saw to the other side of the road. And there was the curb on the other side of the road. And I was sat there on the curb. And this seems crazy for some people. I'm just saying what happened. And I was in no pain. And I could see all these people. And there was all this hustle and bustle and get an ambulance and oh my God, and cars were stopping. And, and I was at total peace, zero pain. Everything was silent. Sure. I could see it, but there was no noise. And they say your life flashes before you. That's not what happened to me. But I had this insane moment of clarity and I thought, my life's great. I'm out here riding my bike. I have a beautiful wife at home. I get to call this work. I get to help so many people. Mm. I literally love it every day when I wake up. I still hate admin and then, you know, I don't need to do all of that, but life's really good. And I said, I don't want to die. Very inspiring, Marcus. So Marcus, um, we're, we're getting towards the, the end of the interview, the, the three or four questions which are get broader. So what, what's your life ethos, Marcus? Show no weakness. Just honestly, I want people to wake up every day pain-free, physical and emotional pain, and just go out and live. I think if we can do that, the world will actually be a really cool place. You know, I think that's really important. And that's what I want to do. I want to do this as long as I can, Patrick. I, I've often thought that, yeah, I'll, I'll do really good and I'll get to 50 and I'll retire. And then what? I want to have conversations with people. I want to talk to guys like you. I want to go for coffee with people and have deep conversations. Not because I'm a psychopath, because that's what's important. We know it's hot outside in Dubai. We know it's cold in the UK. That's cool. <laughs> Let's talk about things. Let's ask each other the questions that you've asked me. Because it's good for me. Sure. And it's good for you as well. I'm on the other side of the mic with my podcast often. Sure. And the energy that I get from my guests when I'm able to listen well and hit, like it's amazing. So just, I just hope that people can do that. And that really is my ethos for life, mate. You know, and, and I think that it's become more prevalent since my crash because it was, you okay? So you're about the fourth person that's made me lose it. <laughs> that happens sometimes. I've probably told the story about 300 no, times. No, it's good. Sometimes it gets a bit... Uh, of course. Uh, this is real, not put on. This is real emotion. So Marcus, is, you know, it's really inspiring, touching story. Thank you. Um, so what is it for Marcus for your legacy? I mean, this is the inner fight. Yeah. Show no weakness is all inside you. Yeah. And you know, it's, I'm feeling the energy. It's great. Hopefully the audience can feel this too. Sure. What, what's the legacy plans? I think, honestly, mate, and when I was in school, I, in, in English literature class, there was this part of the, the times and it was called a life in the day of or a day in the life or something like that. 
and we studied that and how people lived. And from that, the values that people had. And leading on from that, we also did an exercise on obituaries. And it's, it stayed in my mind, I was 14 at the time, and it's like, what is, like, what is your legacy? And honestly, mate, I hope that when I'm gone, or what I leave, is that people remember the values that I live by. Having fun, being honest, being disciplined, being on time. And the time I spent with the guy, I became a slightly better human. I don't think we've got enough time to waste. That's why I'm not interested in talking about the weather. I think we've got time and we get these unique moments like you and I have had today to share each other's time and energy. I've left a better person and I hope that you have and I hope that everyone else has. And if people say that and if that's the legacy that I leave, then I think I've done a good job. Will in a fight become a multi-million dollar franchise? That doesn't bother me. We'll keep doing what we do. We started with just me. We're now up to a whole load of coaches making a big impact locally and globally, and that's great because we started with the right things. That if people come to us, we make them a little bit better. So that's really my legacy, mate. And I just, I just like life and living, which I guess after nearly dying, you kind of do. You know, that's not a surprise, but I just like having those moments. It's great advice. Um, I, I think I would you know, say a few takeaways from, from this interview. I mean, one is, you know, you really are showing that we can't take things for granted. Mm. We have to make every opportunity count. Um, one thing I really agree with what you said earlier through the mentor is um, you have to take step by step, yeah. right? It's not about, okay, let's say I want to become a, a billionaire. I want to become the best footballer. Mm. I want to become the best artist. Sometimes I think that the, the mistake that a lot of young people make nowadays, not even young people, but people in general, yes. including myself, is um, we think too much about the end result. Yeah. We think too much about the reward, Yes. right? And then you miss that actually in between from zero to a hundred, yeah. there's a lot of hard work, yeah. planning, grit, determination that gets you there. And you're always thinking about, oh, I want to finish the 30 marathons. You got, you got to get past the first marathon first, right? So I think that's a very valuable lesson. We yeah. take things for granted. We think, oh, I want to get paid this and that. Yeah. And the second point I want to make is what, what you highlighted is, you know, when I do something, I'm not driven by the money. Yes. But a lot of people misunderstand me thinking that, oh, this guy just wants to do business and make money, right? Yeah. Okay, I do want to make money. I yeah, do want to create value. <laughs> but it's, you need to do a good job yeah. at whatever you're doing. Yeah. And when you do a good job, the success will come. Right? And the good job is even when I'm sweeping the floor, yeah. wiping the surface or whatever, yeah. you do the best that you can. Yeah. And if you do everything with that kind of mindset, yeah. then you can achieve anything. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So Marcus, um, what's the next big, big thing for you and the company and your life and your family, everything? Uh, yeah, that's the, the, the biggest thing that you get asked is like, what's next, what's next, what's next? And, it almost, it goes with, but it goes against a lot of living, living in the moment. At the moment, this, it's super challenging. 2021, can we plan? We couldn't for 2020. I have one thing, one physical challenge that, that's lined up for this year, but last week I jumped off a 10 foot wall in the mountains and snapped my ankle, but that's another story. We're gonna run uh, 300 kilometers 
through the UAE. So often we travel outside to do races and stuff and because we can't travel, one of my friends, Rob, who also ran with me in Corsica, we were like, where can we run in the UAE? So we picked the highest point in the UAE and we're gonna run all through the mountain range and end up back here at Inner Fight. How long is that gonna take? Hopefully less than three days, two and a half days. Okay, we'll and go then, so how, how long are you running per day? We'll run straight through. Like non-stop in three days? Non-stop, we'll try and run the whole way through. We'll stop for food, we'll stop, we'll sleep for like five minutes here, five minutes there, but the, the idea is that we run non-stop. So we carry everything that we need and we start at the top of Jebel Jace and we get here as fast as we can. So that's a, a personal goal. As far as the business goes, I think we're in a truly, truly unique time that if you say, okay, we want to double the businesses, that doesn't really excite me. I say it to the coaches, I say it to our staff all the time. Every single person that comes through the door, make their experience and make them better and we'll continue to where we want to go. We have great aspirations, Patrick. We want to be the best facility of our kind here. We want to grow globally. We have an endurance team, which is the best in the region at the moment. We want to take that international. But a year ago, we sat, or 15 months ago, we sat and made a plan that the three-year plan was that we would have operations in three countries, but then for a whole year, we can't leave our own country to build those operations. So I don't think it's a massive time to really, I think a lot of the time you can be setting yourself up for a little bit of failure. I think we, a lot of people, companies, organizations go back to your vision and just wake up every day and live that vision. And everyone that comes in, just live that vision with them and you'll have a great year. Super, good luck with everything. Um, I'll be following the, the three-day um, yeah. journey. You should come with me. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> that, that's why I was asking, is there, you know, how long do you run per day? Yeah. I need to get some beauty sleep, you know. Anyway, <laughs> anyway so um, as we all know on Anything Is Possible, the show, we try to show, share positivity, yeah. overcome challenges, and three is to create one world together. Um, Marcus Smith, our last question is always, please share your number one advice with our viewers, especially our younger audience. Be authentic, be on time. That's me. Excellent. Marcus, thank you for your time. The biggest takeaway today for me personally is um, obviously your story about the accident and all that, that's all good. But the lesson that I take the most personally is time. Yeah. And I think time is, the most precious asset. I, one thing that I've struggled all my life is that I'm generally like always late. Uh, <laughs> um, Lewis is always, a lot of times he's late as well, but I, I'm probably worse. And, and I sort of make up by it by sleeping less and doing more, but I'm still trying to, to make more in time. I think that's the one thing that we should all respect each other's like time. I and, I, and then one word I, I learned recently from a Zoom call from a lady called Lisa, and she used a term called um, time suck. People time suck. Yeah. I, think, I think that's, I used to use the word uh, time thief. Yeah, you know? So I think, um, I think it's important to, you know, use your time wisely. But I agree. thank you very much today. It's been thank very you. inspiring. And um, it. you're the true epitome of AIP spirit. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks thank for you. having me. Appreciate thank it. Thank you, Marcus.